Sorry. <laughs> you tell him that I'll have his money when I'm damn well ready. What the f is going on over there? Get in there. You will deal with that Atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. I think you broke it. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Now the time has come for all the true clothes in overthrow the Gentlemen and ladies, to a long-awaited debut edition, the first of 2022. <laughs> Jesus. Yes, we're finally in the present, but we're going to be looking back with the help of our fellow guests, the Omega Squad, Chris Green, uh, and my partner in crime, tag team partner in crime, Mr. Dan Calatico. We are going back to a time gentlemen and ladies, when they were wrestling in all 50 states without fear of social distancing or masks. It was a sport that we all know and love and cherish, and we didn't care who knows it. And it was a time when wrestling organizations would routinely have a handshake deal with other promoters, so wrestlers from different organizations can appear on different cards, world champions from one federation can appear on the card of another federation. Titles that changed hands made huge news and iconic shifts in tones in wrestling. We're looking back on now three weeks of some of the most important dates in professional wrestling history. And at a time where you didn't know who was gonna show up at the Royal Rumble, um, someone from a different federation or might, might show up, this was a time when different federations, world champions, wanted to see who had the best wrestler and stuff was settled in the ring. Gentlemen and ladies, this is the Wrestling Historian. I talked about certain dates that made a big difference in professional wrestling history. And we're going to cover several of those. I want to get your reactions on some of these gentlemen. One of them... None of us were even born when this happened. Wow, that's rare. Yeah, but it's still a big deal uh, because of who it happened to. January 14th, 1960, in Memphis, Tennessee, Beale Street, the most overheeled, the biggest money-making wrestler in the South, Sputnik Monroe, was arrested at a Negro cafe charged with the crime of public mopery, meaning he was in a place where he shouldn't have been, namely a white man in an all-black bar. And he was arrested for that. And because he was Sputnik Monroe, the number one heel in Memphis, and if not all of the South, uh, sold out the Ellis Auditorium 
routinely, week after week. This made all the news, made all the newspapers throughout the state of Tennessee and parts east that he was arrested for being where he shouldn't be. And the trial took place and Sputnik Monroe, who uh, was a guy that black fans loved because he would hang out in black bars, would go down to Beale Street when it was all, it was pretty much all African-American back then. And even his white wrestlers, his fellow wrestlers would say, why are you hanging out there? They got the best food, they got the best music, they got the best booze. Why wouldn't I hang out there? Well, he got arrested for hanging out there, made all the papers. He was defended by a man named Randall Sugarman and became the first white man ever to be defended in court by a black man. Again, made the news. And his attorney, his black attorney, defending this white man who was arrested for being in a black bar, he had to cite a Supreme Court law, Chris, that said that a white man in the United States can drink and eat in any public establishment he wants to. Black people still couldn't, nope. but a white man could. Wait, wait, wait. And that's how we got Sputnik Monroe off for the charge of public mobilist. <laughs> Public Mopri sounds like an emo cover band. <laughs> it should be. We'll add that to Preston's band list, Dan. Um, but um, yeah, we'll I'll text him. <laughs> but Nick Monroe was the man that integrated wrestling in the South, in the state of in state of Tennessee, and in Memphis. The Ellis Auditorium was sold out, but with Nick Monroe. They didn't sell out all the seats, and the uh, the top row um, was for black fans only, uh, and they named it the Crow's Nest. So that's where black fans would come to see. And the thing is, when Sputnik Monroe would come to wrestle, the top the balcony was sold out, but there were still plenty of seats on the floor. And Sputnik said, "Well, why don't we let, let those guys come down here to sit, or else I'm not going on." These people came to see me and they're not even allowed to sit. So it was Sputnik Monroe that integrated wrestling in the Ellis Auditorium and in Little Rock, Arkansas and in Nashville, Tennessee and in Knoxville, Tennessee. He was the single most popular wrestler there and the most well-known. Sam Phillips' son, the guy who discovered Elvis, who invented Sun Records, Sam Phillips' son was the president of the Sputnik Monroe fan club. Um, famous Tennesseans always talked about going to see Sputnik Monroe. If you look at any high school yearbook in the late 50s to the early 60s, you would see kids, black and white, with the white streak in their hair, which was Sputnik Monroe's trademark, because kids wanted to be like him. One time a after Sputnik Monroe had been uh, retired for a while, an old black woman came up to Sputnik Monroe and said, thank you. He said, I've loved wrestling my whole life and it's because of you, um, I'm able to see wrestling. I walk with a cane, I wasn't able to make it up to the crow's nest, but thanks to you, now I can walk in and sit anywhere I like and see wrestling. People said that was the only time Sputnik Monroe ever cried. 
because of that woman. And Chris, if you ever go down to the Rock and Soul Museum in Memphis, Tennessee, alongside great rock and soul artists like Elvis Presley, like Chuck Berry, like Jerry Lee Lewis, like Johnny Cash, you will find the ring jacket and wrestling boots of Spuffy Monroe. That was his influence in uh, progressive wrestling and in integrating wrestling in the South. But January 14th, 1960, he was arrested for public mopery. Public mopery. Public mopery. Probably still on the books too. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's never going away. Statute doesn't run out. Uh, January 18th, 1971, 51 years ago in Madison Square Garden, was still considered the biggest upset, maybe of all time, maybe in the history of Madison Square Garden, because what happened on January 18th, 1971, had never happened before, and it never happened again, because it was on that date where Ivan Koloff pinned Bruno Sammartino to win the WWF Heavyweight Championship, and that would be the only time that Bruno Sammartino would ever be pinned in Madison Square Garden. Some would say, count, not counting his, his loss to superstar Billy Graham, the only clean pin of his whole championship career. But on that date, Bruno, who had been champion since May of 1963, this was January 71, so going on eight years, Bruno needed a rest. And the man he saw fit to drop the belt to was a 27-year-old Russian bear who was from Canada named Ivan Kolov. And he dropped the knee on uh, Bruno and he pinned him. Referee Dick Kroll counted to three and he said you could have heard a pin drop in Madison Square Garden. He had never heard it that quiet before or since. And it, it dawned on folks that Bruno had lost. The great Bruno Sammartino had actually lost. Uh, Ivan Kolov said in one of his uh, interviews that um, he had to fight his way to get back to out of the ring. They didn't give him the belt uh, for that reason. Um, and he didn't appear with it until the next day on television. But that would be the, um, the shift um, in wrestling that Bruno had lost to Ivan Kolov. And um, that would open the door for Pedro Morales. But the loss of Bruno um, still heard around the world. And again, the only time he'd ever been pinned in Madison Square Garden. And the man who did it, still not in the Hall of Fame. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what? Yeah. Ivan Koloff, the huh. Russian heel, the Russian bear, the quintessential uh, Russian athlete that where all other Russian athletes take their cue from uh, the Nikita Kolovs, the, uh, the Nikolai Volkovs, the Barzukovs, um, the Russian assassins, um, Soldat Ustinov, all the other started with Ivan Kolov, the, the yeah. monster menacing heel. Do, do you think, I'm going to guess, because mm. I wasn't there clearly. Um, <laughs> sure, you were. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing that that was, I mean, I think that the, the only thing I can think of that's akin to that in modern thought 
is probably Undertaker's streak at WrestleMania coming to an end. Yeah. And the, and the reaction to that. And yeah. I don't, I imagine this was war, this was much more uh, shocking than that even that streak coming to an end. It honestly was, Chris, because this was at a time when wrestling, especially in Madison Square Garden, the results were in the New York Times the next day. And Bruno sold out Madison Square Garden uh, every, this every month without fail, without question. Uh, that was the house that Bruno built. And Bruno, not only did he never lose, um, if it was by disqualification or Canada, but you know he was, you know, Bruno always won. Bruno did it for eight years. So, yeah, that was, it, it was, um, you really can't equate it. I guess you can with, with The Undertaker, but, but it was more of a once-a-year thing because we never thought we'd see it. But Bruno was every month, month after month after month, and, you know, on the road week after week. The guy never lost. Um, yeah, but I, I think in modern terms, that that will probably be the one that lost. Uh, the Undertaker um, streak being snapped would probably be the closest thing to a, oh, my God, moment, I guess, that people didn't see coming. Um, yeah, but still, 51 years later, uh, anyone who was there will tell you that uh, people still can't believe it. But uh, it happened. Uh, God bless Ivan Koloff. And uh, it had to be somebody. It's like, you know, somebody had to be The Undertaker. It had to be Brock. Somebody had to be Bruno. Happened to be Ivan Koloff. Uh, but 51 years ago. January 19th. 30 years ago, folks. 30 years ago. Ric Flair proved that he actually was what he said he was, a 60-minute man. Because on that day, 30 years ago, January 19th, he went 59 minutes and 26 seconds and won the Royal Rumble and the WWF Heavyweight Championship. He still maintains that he, when he signed with the WWF, he was never promised the belt. He was never told he was getting the belt. He was never said, I'm not going to come in unless I get the belt. He wrestled the Royal Rumble, the first Royal Rumble that would determine a world championship, but that would determine a world champion. Uh, lasted 28 other men, uh, including some of his former, uh, ironically, some of his, some of the guys that he wrestled for the NWA title, Ted DiBiase, Kerry Von Erich uh, were in there. Axel Duggan. Uh, Sid and finally with Sid and he eliminated Hulk Hogan. Bob Backlund was another one that he had wrestled when he was NWA champion. And the best part about the the bout wasn't even the um, well besides the the post match interview was the fact that Ric Flair had to pretend that he was physically exhausted from going an hour, even though at this point in 1992 he had gone hour matches daily with guys like Ricky Steamboat and Jack Briscoe and Harley Race and Dusty Rhodes. But in this, he had to act like he could barely stand, which kind of all fell apart because the post-match interview was a tear in my eye. Yeah, really. Hey, <laughs> this is the greatest night of my life. Hey, because put that cigarette out. Hey, put, put out that cigarette. You know, <laughs> Uh, the most tragic thing about that post-match interview is that between Mean Gene, Rick, 
Mr. Perfect and Bobby Heenan that Rick is the only one that's left. I also want to say uh, honorable mention to Bobby Heenan because of some of the finest damn commentary that's out on tape. Period. Yeah. Period. And you could say that about 50 things that Bobby Heenan has commentated on. So Bobby Heenan, whatever Bobby Heenan did, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even the word, uh, I've been holding this in my back pocket. Um, just a little uh, Bobby Heenan sidebar, Craig, if you mind, if you will, if you'll oblige me. Um, of all the things that I've, I, I've seen everything WCW multiple times. Mm-hmm. Fact. One thing I never saw and one thing I didn't know is there was one more episode uh, of WCW Worldwide that aired after Mm -hmm. the company had shut down. But what I also never saw until a couple weeks ago was Bobby Heenan's last episode of WCW Worldwide or Saturday Night or whatever the hell it was at that point. Mm -hmm. My point being to bring it back around to everything he did was gold. Mm-hmm. Even a guy who was relegated to a C, a Z show, who was still a list talent as, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Ma- took made lemonade out of lemons and still was on his game. That entire broadcast to the point where he stole a phone. Uh, it, you know, he just all his old primetime tricks that he just rehashed with somebody else that were still funny. was like, oh, he's done this before. It was still Bobby putting a little bit of a twist on it. And then he was gone from that company because they didn't know what the hell they were doing. I just, just a little sidebar to the fact that on top of Ric Flair doing this monumentous thing is Bobby. Just, yeah. <laughs> it's just being damn Bobby. Yeah. There's nothing like it. It was nothing like him. And uh, the fact that he was there for Ric Flair's moment was uh, incredibly special, and both of the for both of those guys, uh, he and 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 Perfect, um, he and Rick obviously you know grew up in Minnesota, known each other for a long time, uh, two of the best to ever done it. Uh, I always thought Kurt Henning should have had a, a run as WWF champion at some point, um, but uh, it's, a, it's yeah, a crime he, he did. Yeah. Yeah, and the crime a lot of people didn't, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, but yeah, uh, 1990, 30 years ago, Ric Flair won his first WWF uh, championship by winning the Royal Rumble. January 23rd, 1984. That was the day that I was accepted into college. Uh, also, that day, there was a match, there was a card at Madison Square Garden. That drew 26,292 people. 26,292 at Madison Square Garden to see the two out of three tag team match between Dan Carpenter, Poncho, Tiger Jackson, and the Haiti Kid. That uh, went two out of three falls and was won finally by the Haiti Kid and Tiger Jackson. January 23rd, 1984, Jeez. in front of 26,292 people. Uh, midget tag team bout with two out of three falls. <laughs> and won by Haiti Kid and Tiger Jackson. Ah, yeah. the good old days. Yeah, that's the only thing that happened that day. Uh, 26,000 people. Yep. 
Also, so glad that AEW almost broke a million this week. Yeah. Uh, Also, (laughs) Hulk Hogan defeated the Iron Sheik that night. Oh, okay. Well. Um, Always leading us on, Craig. (laughs) You whore. That's who I wanted to see. I wanted to see Haiti Kid and Tiger Jackson, but everyone else apparently was there to see. Hulk Hogan's first ballot in Madison Square Garden in four years. Last time he was in Madison Square Garden, he was pinned by Tony Atlas in the summer of 1980, but he returns As four years later after uh, starring in Rocky Three, not winning the AWA championship, and uh, coming in to challenge the Iron Sheik after only appearing on TV once a week before that. And uh, in five minutes and 18 seconds, Hulk Hogan breaks out of the camel clutch, hits the leg drop, and changes the course of professional wrestling forever. Pretty much. Literally changed the the business. And beating the Iron Sheik. And And now we have years of... uh, Now on Twitter, uh, Hogan's blocked me, and I get to see at least once every other day Iron Sheik threaten to kill him (laughs) (laughs) or tell him to go f himself or f f the f f the hulk why am i editing that fuck the hulk hogan on a regular (laughs) basis it's it's a joy joy. i am glad he's alive (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to great individual hulk hogan was trending the other day and i was like oh oh, man (laughs) yeah he's still alive um Chris, did you have any uh, feelings toward Hulk Hogan, uh, good or bad, growing up? Uh, you know, I mean, I was the quintessential '80s kid, so I was, you know, I thought Hulk Hogan loser was no. the beast. <laughs> I, you know, I thought Hulk Hogan was 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 great. I mean, I thought, I mean, I was, in fairness, I was more of an Ultimate Warrior fan than than okay. than Hulk. Nerd, nerd, yeah, but yeah, says the stinger, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, Hogan, I mean, I mean, Hogan is that quintessential thing, what you thought about pro wrestling, right? He was synonymous with pro wrestling and, and you can, it's hard to kind of fathom nowadays, just the, the popularity that he had at yeah. that time and how much of the part of the cultural zeitgeist he was. And, you know, in yeah. hindsight, you know, but yeah, you know. It, I mean, I on top of that, Craig, it's just, it's not just the one thing of why I despise that man. It's not just the fact that he dropped the N-word like it was the word the. And then was like, sorry, I got caught. Oh, right. Well, at least you're honest. Uh, it's that he was such a shit yeah. in the business. You know, he, he ratted out his friends. He lied about damn near everything that I still don't believe that story in the Andre the Giant documentary where all these years we've heard these stories about that one match against Andre at WrestleMania three. And now in 2020 or 2019 or whenever that I, I scripted the whole thing. And Andre was like, yeah, OK, all of a sudden I don't believe him. I, I just don't believe him. Um, I recognize him as a game changer. And his legendary status on what he did in the ring and what he did for the wrestling business. You can't take that away from him. I thought he was overrated in the ring. 
I hated his character. And the only time I liked him is when he went heel as Hollywood. And he would talk for an hour about bullshit at the top of the second hour against the first hour of Raw every week. That's when I like Hulk Hogan, when he was just a bastard. He was who he was. You know, when, you know, Austin explained it the way that basically his character Stone Cold was just an exaggeration of the person he is. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, need I say more? I rest my case. A work of fiction, a bad guy's great. Uh, in real life, when you learn all these things, you're like, I really don't like that person. And and unfortunately, the same thing with Warrior. You know, he, I liked the Warrior a little bit. I was more of a Sting guy. You know, it was Sting. It, the war, Sting was Warrior with mm, talent. And <laughs> and when he yeah, died, when, it was, when you're a kid, when you're a kid, it doesn't matter. You just, oh, oh, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, but well, that's what I was getting to. I recognized the warrior for what he was, which was a goddamn bull in a china shop. He would come out, excite the kids, destroy the bad guys, and get the hell out of there. That's all he was there for. He was Goldberg at the time. I marked out for the warrior. Okay, that's all. That's and this is Craig Laganzi. He hates everything. Hated <laughs> him. But I marked out for the warrior because the WWE pro- propaganda machine was in full tilt. And when he came on, and I was old enough to know better. But yeah, it got me. Dude! When the warrior came back in yeah. 98 out of nowhere, that mm-hmm. dude showed up on Nitro and talked for 20 minutes, <laughs> mostly gobbledygook. But he talked for 20 minutes and Hogan was terrified and Bischoff was pissing as his pants. I was fired up, man. Warrior was there to take on unfinished business and destroy the NWO on his own. I was down for that. And of course, in the back of my mind, you know, I was a bit older. So I think I'm like, well, him and Sting used to be tag team partners. Maybe a thing happened. And they teased it and they did tag in a match, but they never went in. But I was fired up, man. I could go. I, and then I, later on, you're like, eh, well, okay. And it's it's easy now. I mean, now that we've seen the trajectory of the of the Hogan career, and uh, we see more of his his the character of who Hulk Hogan really is, a guy that for his his life and his career has got so much to talk about and so much that's brag worthy. But for someone to lie when they don't need to lie. He do, yeah, that's the thing. He doesn't need to lie. He's no. Hulk fucking Hogan. He yeah. is wrestling. As much as I don't like it, he's the reason wrestling skyrocketed twice. He's part of the reason the second time. Yeah. Him turning on everything he stood for for the last 20 years at the time. Nobody who is newer to wrestling that didn't watch before the year 2004 can fathom what that meant. It was just as the business was changing. It was after it was sports entertainment, but it was still real. The magazines were still coming out. It was still put on as a legit competition, even on TV, even by the WWF. And for him to all of a sudden leg drop Macho Man was mind-blowing. You can't buy that for all the money the WWE has in stocks these days. Yeah. And it just yeah, can't and, happen. And Dan, 
it still and even if it was Sting that did it, it would not have had the effect. Of Hell him. no! And this is a Sting mark. This yeah. guy has fifteen Sting figures still to this day. The little kid still has collects Sting figures of every version of paint that he ever wore. Mm-hmm. There's no way in hell that goes over if it's Sting. It goes over a little bit, but no, it, it doesn't. Ignoring make- ignoring the end at Starcade '97, that that was standing. Mm-hmm. Hogan going heel and Sting going silent was two of the greatest things that happened. And on the other side, you had the rise of Stone Cold and the rise of The Rock and the rise of Triple H, quite frankly, and the Montreal Screwjob. And the, on the heels of Bret Hart, then WCW fucking that up. But that's for uh, HMP, uh, copyright yeah. Craig Lyons, 2019. Um, yeah. yeah I, 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 I absolutely, the people, you know, I was like, well, why do you talk about it? Listen, I recognize his, uh, I recognize and bow down to what they did in the business. As a person, I think he sucks and, uh, you know, trending. I was kind of hoping for the best. And I didn't give it a <laughs> And wrestling, and we talked about in this podcast, is filled with people whose careers that we love, but the personalities that we don't. Um, and I will always, you know, champion the the, the wrestler that I, I love and, and dec- decry the human beings that they are. We just uh, talked, uh, 20 minutes ago, we just talked at great lengths about Rick Flair. Yes. And just very recently at the tail end of 2021, some horrific things came out about Rick. Mm-hmm. Terrible human, legendary wrestler. Yeah. That's it. That's okay. it. Yeah. He doesn't, you don't need to shake his hand ever again. But you could also talk, recognize that's one of the greatest Royal Rumbles that's ever on TV. Yeah. And I'm not giving him money to watch it again. <laughs> But I wanted to watch the two of you. I got into an argument on on a fan site, on the wrestling site on Facebook. That's your first problem. Stupid reason. But uh, I, but I want to get your take. And it's no right or wrong. I just need, I want your honest opinion, Chris and Dan. Um, who's the most popular wrestler of all time to you? Who do you, to, who's? To you, who do you, to, to you, who's the most popular wrestler of all time? So not our favorite. Who do we think was the most popular wrestler of all time? Go ahead, Chris. Hey, you know, that gets back into the, the big, you know, geez, I mean, because it gets back to what we talked about a few weeks, few uh, minutes ago. It's probably Bruno San Martino. Okay. Honestly, but you, 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 think, you think about pure breadth of popularity, but mm-hmm. honestly, Hulk Hogan is what let wrestling take off. So it's okay. one of those two. Dan? Three-way tie between Stone Cold, Hulk, and Bruno. Okay. In my opinion. Okay. Because, I mean, when Bruno was on top, mm-hmm. it was real, right? Yes. It was in the papers. It was in the news. It was on 50 syndicated channels in, one, in each state alone. Mm-hmm. Like, it was bigger than we could imagine. Hulk Hogan changes it again, and it's bigger than we could ever imagine. And then Stone Cold was the guy mm-hmm. in its biggest period ever. I think it's fair to say a three-way tie is an equal tie. Like, I don't think you can argue against those three. I could argue that you can't even put The Rock in there. As big as The Rock was, he, he will be the biggest wrestler actor because he is yeah. still yeah. successful in acting 
where Hulk Hogan, that was not fucking happening. The Rock is bigger outside of wrestling. Yes, he is. Uh, but inside of wrestling, I think it's those three. Okay. Why? What was the argument? I got to know. Make it make it quicker because you go back to your story and shit. No, uh, somebody said uh, that Hogan was the, and rightfully they thought Hogan was the most popular wrestler of all time. And I countered with um, my most popular wrestler of all time. And I still think he is the most popular wrestler of all time just because he was a household word before anyone and anyone who didn't even watch professional wrestling knew who this person was. And he's unmistakable. Um, the most popular wrestler of all time to me is, is will always be Andre the Giant. It's a good call, honestly. I, I, I definitely see that argument. But, but it's not an argument you should be getting into with strangers on a Facebook wrestling group. But um, but that's me only we, because we still talk fondly about Andre. The majority of people kind of wish Hogan could go away. Yeah, and Andre's been dead since '93. Yeah, and I, so, and I, having HBO documentaries made about him, um, Hogan isn't. Well, um, Hogan is getting a movie, but yeah, I won't be seeing that. No, um, and I love Chris, and I love uh, Chris Hemsworth, um, uh, and I because Andre was a national figure before Hogan even put on a pair of wrestling tights. Um, Andre was on the Tonight Show. Um, Andre, Andre was that big before Hogan knew what wrestling was. Exactly. Yeah, so you got a I, point. Yeah, that kind of trumps the rest of it. <laughs> no pun intended. And even now that you can just say Andre, you know who who the hell I'm talking about. I've had to explain who Bruno is. I've had to, I've even had to explain who Hulk Hogan was to younger kids. Yeah, I've had to explain who Stone Cold was to a few people. I've never, ever, ever in my life had to explain who Andre the Giant was to anybody ever. Yeah. That, and that's my argument for him being the most popular wrestler. Well, you win. The other guy's dumb. <laughs> that's why you're the historian. That's why you're the historian. That guy's a moron. <laughs> what group is it? You're a moron. <laughs> I'm not going to that, but you're right. What's his name? Dick McBunch. You're a moron. No, just kidding. That's exactly what I, I exactly what you said. That was your first mistake. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Responding was my first mistake. It was coming from me. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I wanted to get your opinion though, because that's why there was no wrong. Just you, you, what your opinion, what you think? Because I'm, I want to get every, I, you know, everyone has a different. Because I talked to you, talked to someone who was uh, born in the 2000s. I'll say, don't, I'll say The Rock. I'll, say, don't I'll be right because all they knew, that's all you knew, that's all you saw. Is um, it like that one time on tough, on tough enough when uh, when Stone Cold asked, uh, I forget who it was. I guess it was oh. Cameron. <laughs> I guess it was Cameron. Time, yeah. what, what her favorite wrestling match was, and it was like Lena versus somebody else. <laughs> it's so close, just like it's yeah, it's the it's yeah. the what, who, <laughs> what? <laughs> I have never before or since seen him make that face or that expression before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> amazing. Uh, speaking of historic stuff that happened. Uh, January 25th, 1978, in the Orange Bowl of all places in Miami, that wrestling hotspot of Miami, uh, where they tried to shoehorn wrestling in for decades upon decades, and it's never proven to be anything but a source of 
bad attendance. I mean, you can get some good crowds, but not on a regular basis. Well, they decided to have uh, a big wrestling event in the Orange Bowl in Miami, of all places, because only the Orange Bowl could hold a match of this magnitude, be the first ever meeting of two world champions in one match to decide one world champion. The WWF heavyweight champion, superstar Billy Graham, would travel into the heart of the NWA to take on its reigning, defending, undisputed world champion, the NWA champion, Harley Race. Um, the, in a match that had to have two uh, officials, one from the NWA and one from the WWF to make it clean. The NWA official was Fritz von Erich. The WWF. Oh, yeah, that would have been clean. <laughs> the WWF official was Gorilla Monsoon. And they had a two out of three falls match to determine who would be the undisputed world champion, something we hadn't had since Luthez. Well, Harley Race won the first fall with a suplex. And Superstar won the second fall with a bear hug. <laughs> and the Superstar bear hug that no one got, got out of and no one could break. Uh, and so in the third fall, with the rain coming down, we're in Miami, folks, even though it's January 25th. And anyone who ever saw the Super Bowl, the one Super Bowl they had in Miami, knew how unpredictable, unpredictable the weather was. Well. Uh, the rain coming down uh, washed the blood off a superstar's face, uh, and both men were counted out of the ring. So a draw was declared. So no champion was crowned. Uh, no one world champion was crowned, but that was the first what would be a series of Super Bowls of wrestling. Uh, but it happened January 25th, 1978, in the Orange Bowl in Miami the first NWA versus WWF world champion Super Bowl match. That's available in very grainy footage on YouTube. I had the wrestling magazines that had the, both of those men on the cover, but Harley versus Superstar um, was a uh, huge news. Um, the WWF and the NWA, you know, they would, they would wrestle in each other's cars and Harley would wrestle in, in Madison Square Garden as the NWA champion. Superstar, who oddly enough was still one half of the Florida Tag Team Champions uh, back in the day, Chris, um, you had a handshake deal. So as long as you can make your bookings, you can hold a title in different federations. So when Superstar Billy Graham and Ox Baker were the Florida Tag Team Champions, Superstar still had dates to make in the WWF. And oh, by the way, he beat Bruno for the World Championship. And so he's a WWF champion, but oh, uh, you know, Billy, you're still part of the Florida Tag Team Champions down here. We never really talked about you dropping the belt before you uh, won that. So Superstar would make NWA bouts in Florida and Texas uh, and in St. Louis as a WWF champion. Back when you can be a world champion from another federation and appear on somebody else's cards, it wasn't that big a deal because it was all about the fans. You, you let me have your world champion for this card. Okay, we'll get a cut. You'll get a cut. And the fans will have the opportunity to see someone from another federation defend the world title on our cards. That's what made wrestling wrestling. 
seeing someone else from a different federation show up in a new federation, amazing. You know how amazing it was? Let's go back to February 1st, 2000, 22 years ago this week. That's when Steve Blackman and Al Snow took on the New Age Outlaws. But who should show up at ringside? But Perry Saturn, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, and Eddie Guerrero. Fresh off appearing in WCW. And here they were on WWF television, making their SmackDown debut. Run in the ring, disrupt, and take out all four guys with their signature moves. Dan talked earlier about going crazy, seeing the warrior, talking about Hulk Hogan, seeing those four guys on WWF TV beat the shit out of four guys on WWF I didn't give a shit about. I was as hype as that crowd was that night to see the debut of the Radicals with the Z. Eddie Guerrero was certainly the exception to that uh, WCW underbooking rule, wasn't he? <laughs> because, you know, Perry Saturn, he had that incident where he dropped the guy on uh, Shotgun Saturday Night on his head. Yeah. Or metal or whatever fucking syndicated show it was. Yeah. Uh, Dean Malenko was Dean Malenko, unfortunately for him, even though that should mean good, good things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I mean, Benoit was also the other exception to that rule. Yeah. Uh, we're not allowed to talk about yeah. that. Um, <laughs> and you have Ooh. Eddie Guerrero. Who? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, some guy. Short yeah. arms. Yeah. And then you have Eddie Guerrero. Um, you know, I always talk about the two times where I was like, uh-oh, well, we're in trouble. We're being WCW fans. Uh, the first being August 99. When uh, Y2J's uh, countdown, the the Y2J countdown stopped. And I was like, oh, uh oh. And then seeing four of my favorites from WCW TV on WWE just beating the snot out of everybody in the ring was my second, uh oh. (laughs) That's bad. Who was right? I wasn't the only one, but I I just remember being mortified. Like, oh, boy. I I am convinced that Eddie Guerrero would just be another cautionary tale that we talked about on the the main show these days. Mm -hmm. I don't think I don't think he'd make it in today's WWE. He wouldn't be nearly the star he is. No. I don't. No. No. I, you know, we know Eddie was going to be champion again before, you know, he left us. Um, but I, yeah, I don't see how anyone from that era would be uh, around today, or unless they, or they go on some, no pun intended, some radical changes. Their names will be dropped or changed or just have the one name, or they'd be wearing some stupid outfit or doing some stupid comedy. Well, bit. well. We did have Lady Killer, Dane Malenko, and uh, Moppy. So it's 50-50 here on this one. <laughs> and what we talked about in last week's episode uh, of Vince's, Vince McMahon's Jedi Mind Trick, he talked those guys into doing that shit. Yeah. He had final say in all that. 
So yeah, to have Perry Tanner wrestle with a mop and have Dean Malenko be a lady killer. Oh God. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Dean. <laughs> yeah. You know, the four of them came, two of them became champions. The other four two of them came, all right. Yeah. <laughs> two, but half they got it half right. Two became world champions, the other two became afterthoughts. Uh, even though Dean Malenko carved out a nice career for himself, you know, behind the scenes and currently on AEW. Um, still a great guy. And uh, one I feel for because he's had to say goodbye to a lot of his friends, a lot of his contemporaries. Uh, but 22 years ago, this week, uh, the Radicals changed the game. You know, I think that was another game-changing moment in this episode of Wrestling Historian. We talk about dates and that's changed that that was the first time you really got to see WCW guys shining on the WWF show and actually be given a huge push and uh and rightfully so um speaking of pushes uh February 2nd in the Omni in Atlanta after a year of waiting under the booking of Dusty Rhodes these two teams were told to stay away from each other for an entire year. And it finally culminated February 2nd, 1986 in the Omni in Atlanta with the Midnight Express defeated the Rock and Roll Express for their very first world championship. And one of their stunning chapters in the greatest tag team feud in professional wrestling history. That span of four decades in five different wrestling organizations. Uh, those four men, Ricky Gibson and Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, Dennis Condry, and now the late great Bobby Eaton, uh, rewrote tag team wrestling and rewrote tag team history. Uh, but the Midnight Express won their first ever world championship February 2nd, 1986 in the Omni in Atlanta. And speaking of how much things have changed, I'm going to leave you with this. Uh, February 3rd, um, Saturday Night's main event had always been a mainstay, you know, on the NBC. Once a month, they would take over the Saturday Night Live time slot. But every once in a while, they would have a primetime slot and they would call it the main event. Well, this particular main event on February 3rd was uh, when the mega powers exploded. Uh, Akeem and Big Boss Man would lose their tag team bout to Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage due to an inadvertent bump by uh, the Macho Man onto Elizabeth, and the Mega Powers would explode. We don't have to go through all the details. We, uh, if you were there, you remember. If you were old enough to remember, you know what happened. February 3rd, 1989. I'm just going to leave you with um, that show, the main event, had a rating of 11.6. Wow. 11.6. Okay, then. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Yeah. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good pretty, rating. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. And that, gentlemen and ladies, was the rest of the historian. And you can follow me 
if you feel like more wrestling history or if we get in the mood for any type of breadcrumbs, but I will not argue with you on any social media platform. <laughs> no, that my- guy's a moron. Absolutely argue with that guy. Oh, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter at Craig Lagon, C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-G-E-O-N-S. Chris, we're going to people follow you, sir. You can follow me on Twitter at Omega Squad. And remember, never read the comments. <laughs> no. no, never read the comments. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. At Danlaw83. The show is on Twitter and Facebook at Dan, uh, not at Danlaw83 at HIC Talk Radio. Oops. Um, go to your smartphone on your podcast app. Go now. Type in HIC Talk Radio Network. Please hit subscribe. Leave a comment. We'll read those comments. Leave a review as long as it's a good one. And please follow and listen to the show for the amazing Craig Lagans, for the Omega Squad, Chris Green. I'm the other guy. See you next time. TTFN. (laughs) 